Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. Once again, I'm Bradley and I'm joined by Stu and I can't think of a piffy opening. So Stu, how we doing? Not too bad. It's been a challenging week in a few ways, but I'm surviving, so can't complain too much. They are ringing endorsement for the start of the podcast. No, that seems to be the theme for the last few weeks anyway, uh, for, for, for life, is we're surviving. Uh, that's about how it goes at the moment. But we'll, we'll go into all that later on in the episode. But as usual, we will start with the usual stuff, which is, what have you been playing? So I've been playing Eastern Exorcist, which we talked about last week. And yeah, it was ironic because I mentioned a couple of things and then they immediately either happened or I twigged to them. So just to explain. So if you remember, I said, oh, you know, yeah, going around this fishing village and it's all sort of watercolours and it's kind of grey and misty, really atmospheric. But I was lamenting the fact that it was just that. Literally the next time I played the game, (laughs) went on to the next level. And lo and behold, it was a sunset, which I had also said it'd be nice if they had to just to break things up. And after yes, I remember. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm either prophetic or I'm pathetic. You decide. But um, so <laughs> there was that, and then also it sort of, sort of uh, snowballed a little bit, and I started working my way through the game much more quickly than I had. Uh, I think partly because. I actually bothered reading some of the in-game tutorials and going through some of the um, sort of test fights that you can do. And I learned a couple of moves that I didn't know existed. In my defence, slight defence, they're not very well signposted, so you have to go looking for them. But yeah, no, I'm still a dummy, let's face it. But uh, I started enjoying it a lot more and um, I kind of understood the mechanics of the game. And then midway through the week, they uh, did a huge patch as well, a big update for it. So it's in early access, so that's understandable and very sort of refreshing and welcome. And it's balanced it out way better. It's a it's much, much better balanced game now than it was in terms of difficulty, in terms of you know instructions and things like that. So started to enjoy it a lot more and ended up completing it. And yeah, it's good. It's one to look out for. Obviously, with it not being the finished package, your mileage may vary on what you get out of it. But if you like that kind of thing and you've had a history of liking stuff like, you know, Shinobi and Ninja Spirit and later stuff like Sekiro and things like that, pick it up because you'll probably get a lot out of it. And also, yeah, if you like Soulsborne games, you'll definitely like it. So this is, it's although it is still early access, we don't know an actual... 1.0 release date yet do we it's just as far as we're aware it's just uh, early access at the moment yeah so i was keeping a close eye on the community sort of tab in steam and they're calling the release they actually released it on monday i think as beta mm. so it's early access it's in beta very much open to feedback so yeah especially if you're into giving feedback on stuff it'd be one to pick up so you can feedback to them on how it plays so what's your thoughts on um, early access at the moment? The reason I ask this is I've played more early access style games over the past couple of months than I had in the previous couple of years because of having a PC back. So I've, I've played stuff like Golftopia, Mixalubia, uh, Scar. I've played as well. will be a video up for that at some point. And all of them, even though they're early access, they actually feel so 
so playable. They feel almost like if they were to release in that state that they currently are, you might get a few like reviews hovering around the six to sevens, maybe because there are still things wrong with them. But they feel playable. They're feature rich and. They definitely feel like actual games rather than that period we had of early access before where you was given not even a glorified tech demo and it, it felt more like someone selling you snake oil, but now it just seems different. What's your thoughts on it at the moment? It's really interesting, yeah. I think it's a they're lucky to have a very kind of open-minded community to pick up that what they're putting down and go... Oh yeah, there's loads of good stuff in this. I don't don't mind that it's incomplete because I'll I'll happily feed back on it. And it's weird because like me growing up, there were so many games that you bought that you're like you'd like you, your mate would go, oh you know what's that like then? And you go, oh yeah, it's really good. Oh, there's this bit though when you if you press a certain button at a certain stage, you fall through the floor and you're dead. Yeah. So you have to remember not to do that. And like we just put, oh yeah, you know these things happen, the crap. What <laughs> you know what are you gonna do? And it wouldn't really harm your overall sort of marking of it. Uh, but nowadays. The, the chance that you, the fact that you've got a chance to fix that stuff just by feeding back I think is really good and it probably wouldn't fly obviously with your AAA game developers but it's good for the smaller stuff but yeah I mean I think where it's funny there's like an uncanny valley so there's like I hate to categorise them like this but if you think of Indies as C-list games, which of course they're not, but it's just for <laughs> sense of yeah. argument so, just for the purposes yeah, of this yeah. <laughs> if you think they're kind of like at the high of the valley in that people will give them lots of time and triple A's people give those uh, lots of leeway uh, for how they're presented but I feel that like A or B games are the ones that seem to get the biggest criticism for being released in a, in a in an incomplete incomplete state so it's not a perfect community on that sort of feedback but then where does it end how long do you give a game before you consider it to be finished so exactly yeah. if you look at if you look at something like Destiny, for example, or Destiny 2, uh, Rainbow Six Siege, um, there's a couple of others that have come out recently. I suppose you look at um, Fallout 76, for example, where No Man's Sky, I could probably continue naming them as they come to me, but came out and they weren't clearly weren't the full experience. But I think because they were big AAA titles, or had maybe not No Man's Sky because that was indie, but they had so much expectation put on them, they had to get them out. And they was never going to get them out in that time frame as the feature complete games that they were. Now, we can take out the politics of it all with Sean Murray and his overzealous Peter Molyneux-esque selling of the game for No Man's Sky, but that is now one of the most impressive games I think you've got on the market, especially for what is still essentially an indie title. And I believe Assassin's Creed Broken One, I can't remember which one it was now, because I don't really follow them too much, but that ended up being patched to become a fairly decent game in terms of how it runs. So it is there. But yeah, I suppose it does go, where do you draw that line? and What is acceptable? Eastern Exorcist, you know, it is still early access, it's not out, but if it came out now and you had to review it, how much are you picking it apart going, this is broken, this is broken, this is broken, they shouldn't have released it in this state, or could it be released now and get like a semi-decent review out of it? Well, it's pretty much exactly as you said, with, with your impressions of recent ones you've played, in that, yeah, it feels like an almost feature-complete game, and mm. the it's basically what they're doing is going away and adjusting sliders, so it's not 
like they're going away and going, oh God, you know, this this screen flashes to black when you when you trip it or anything. It's literally just, oh yeah, that input timing could be tightened up or the height that this character can jump needs to be tweaked. And it's really only at that level. And I've actually I'm actually in the middle of writing my review. It's pretty much done. I've basically, you know, been very, very complimentary and said, you know, it's it's pretty much there. It needs a few knobs tweaked, <laughs> if you'll forgive the innuendo. But other than that, you know, it's it's getting there. Uh, what would there's a big caveat though, um, in that it's quite big. I mean, it took me about six hours, which for this style of game, you know, is is reasonable. But yeah. there's an advert at the end of it, um, a little CGI, you know, like CG trailer for the for the full release, and it features levels that I haven't seen, and also a, a new playable character. Oh right. So there's the big caveat of if you're going into it expecting it to be a big game or the size that it will be eventually then that's not right it's not it's not finished in that sense they're still making levels for it so yeah. <laughs> I always find that weird that it's possible I suppose there's there's the um, there's the crux of some early access games that you can technically finish the game before it's released <laughs> and then what desire have you got to actually go back and replay the entire thing again for a few additional levels or a new character yeah so yeah there's kind of a, there is that weirdness to it. Is it is it actually worthwhile going back? But no, I mean, from what I've seen of it, I, I've not given it a go yet. It looks a, a very interesting game. It is, um, it is such a strange thing to, to think, I could just put this down and then not touch it again for a year. Hmm. And when I come back to it, it'd be a completely polished and larger experience. But how many people are going to bother with that? But then again, it's that thing of price. If you've spent... You know, if you spend Avengers, Marvel's Avengers money on it, you're probably going to either <laughs> play it to death and then get sick, or you're going to put it down and never play it again. Whereas with this, with it being like, you know, whatever it is, nine ninety nine, you you might well just dip into it every now and again with yeah. low expectations. So yeah, it's a it's a funny way to run a business, but it seems to work. Did you use Marvel's Avengers? on purpose there because you're never going to get the full experience on that if you get it on certain consoles but still have to pay the full price for it well exactly i mean that's its own little crapshoot isn't it that <laughs> i can't wait i can't wait to discuss that one fully i'm not gonna it's one of those where i don't i'm not gonna buy it because it just it just looks like a quite a cheap nasty looking game in all fairness um <laughs> if that had been handy if that had been produced from a, a btr developer you'd have gone ah it's all right i suppose but yeah. no no i don't no. think so unless it's free to play i'm never touching that one and it looks like a free to play game yet yeah. you're paying a full price for it and they're monetizing the crap out of that one they really are. What is funny with these games is when they make that decision, because I would have thought that Anthem would have gone free to play ages ago, so that they could pull, you know, pull some cash back. Uh, but it's, you still have to buy it, and even though it's dirt cheap, that initial barrier of entry of actually laying down the cash yeah. seems to me like to be putting loads, of, like would potentially put loads of people off. What do you think? Yeah, no, you've got, again, it's spot on. Actually, I think it's a very, very interesting um, longer discussion. But the perfect example of this, of getting all your timings completely wrong and then getting the message across wrong and destroying your game is Battleborn. I am one of the few who picked up Battleborn over, um, over Overwatch initially. And I 
really, really, really enjoyed Battle Ball. But the marketing behind it, the mixed messages behind it, the fact everyone thought it was going to be that case of, oh, look, two games are coming out and they're pretty much the same, did not help it because Battle Ball is nothing like Overwatch. Then it got discounted heavily to try and sort of like recoup some of the sales, try and get people in. It is at that exact point when they discounted it heavily, they should have gone, right, free to play. Free to play, you can buy your skins. So we'll put the Overwatch model of loot boxes, but it's a free to play game. If you've bought the game, here is an absolute crap ton of stuff you can have for supporting us when you had to buy the game. But that's what it should have done. But they kind of staggered it. Word of mouth went round saying, oh, it's not that good. People weren't willing to put even a fiver or £10 into trying it because they had Overwatch and they thought it was Overwatch light. And that caused it to fail miserably. Now, I saw some arguments at the time that said it's because it's Overwatch light. And that's why people weren't bothered. But then, if you look at what high-res studios do, and they take popular games of the time and remake them, and I'm trying to think because I can't remember what the game was, the actual name of the game that was a bit like Overwatch that they made. Um, Paladins, they released that, free to play, a complete rip-off of Overwatch, and that sold, that earned them a ton of money. Smite, which ripped off other games, a ton of money. So I think like the developers of Battleborn, it was 2K behind it, made a mistake with the marketing. What they could have done with that is gone, hey, look, it's, a, it's set in the Borderlands world. Let, let's use, you know, let's, let's let's try and use some of the Borderlands license we've got access to. And they didn't. And it's, it, that comes from that. I feel Anthem's done the same. That could have got, that should have gone free to play very early. And yeah, we'll see that with Marvel. I think Marvel's Avengers, it looks like a free to play game. That's the message that's coming across. They either embrace that now or it's going to be a flop. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. And it does it does feel a bit bloody minded sometimes when companies refuse to go free to play and and just rely on their microtransactions, which is funny because they they're quite happy when they're paying you know, like making people pay full price and then reaming them for all the IAPs whilst those people are playing, but they won't accept when they've made a mistake and then drop down to being a, a free to play platform and and just make money from microtransactions. So. Yeah. No, I, that's human trait I think humans as a whole of every, they don't want to admit mistakes yeah. they do not want to admit they're wrong and I think that's where that comes from because you've ne- not having to admit your mistakes is what gets you higher and higher and higher because you step on people you you, you stretch the truth I'm not going to say outright lying because not everyone's Randy Pitchford um, sue me please don't sue me I've got no money no, that's how you get to the top. So when you get to the top, it's very hard to then admit mistakes. And I think that's where it comes from. You double down. It is, it is, it is a shame. And Bethesda are doing it with Fallout 76. They're doing, I think their free-to-play weekends have done, have done gambusters. They've done really well because people have wanted to step in and try. Just just go free-to-play. It's, it's a, a lot of MMOs are free up to a certain level and... That's enough for a lot of people, and those who really like it will spend. It's yeah. If you're gonna go that free to play model, go for it. Don't don't try and pretend you're something you're not. I'd be happy to play that Marvel game as a free to play game. Dip my toe in, and if it hooks me, so be it. And my expectations are lower because it was free, by the way. Precisely. Yeah. If you have a game that you have to pay to play, yeah, you have to buy. Then if people don't, if people don't buy it. 
then you're getting zero. <laughs> Whereas if you make it free to play, if some people play it and they pay for their loot crates, then you're making some money. So, yeah. So I used to work. This is weird. This is this is a weird conversation we're going about. But I used to work in an off license um, in my late teens and into my early twenties. And my boss there, we we used to absolutely trounce the local Tesco in terms of business when it came to Christmas and New Year and all the big events and stuff like that. And we made very little profit on multi-packs of beer and lager and like that. And I asked him what that. I said, why aren't we charging more? You know, why are we making such small profits on these items? And, and like Tesco's at this price and Sainsbury's at this price. This offer down the road is is that price. He turned around to me and goes, right, to put it down in the, in the smallest way possible, if I charge £10 for a can of lager, that can of lager might not sell. Or it might sell in three months at £10. I've made £10 in three months on that one can of lager, but I've made £8 profit. If I decide to sell a can of lager for £3, because they cost £2 each, and I sell a ton of them because they're a lot cheaper, yes, I've had to sell more, but I've made more profit in a shorter space of time and much more profit in the same amount of time. It's always better to take in smaller margins and earn more than try and earn as much as you can in one foul swoop. Because people will go back time and time and time again if they feel they are getting value for their money. Once they don't get value for their money, you might get one sale from them and that's it. And that has stuck with me for a long time. And I'm paraphrasing a bit, but he put it in the most simplest terms. And that's how I look at it with games. If you have a Madden or a baseball game in, in the UK, there's no point selling like MLB the show for £60 over here because there's not enough baseball fans. So if there's, say there's like a couple of thousand baseball fans who will go out and pay £60 for MLB the show, great, you've got those. But what about those who aren't sure about it? They don't know the ins and outs of baseball and they want to give it a go. Why not in the UK or territories where, you're not, you, where you know you're maybe not going to get those sales? Sell that dirt cheap. Sell that for 20 quid. See how many sales you get. Then, if you're getting the sales, gradually raise the price because you've got your fans dead. I know that's more a cynical business ploy to a degree, but you need to hook people. I'm not spending out 60 quid on a sport game, for example, that I have no idea about the sport. I'm not a big fan of the sport. So they've lost that sale. Whereas at 20 quid, I'm going, do you know what? Yeah, I'm willing to give that a go. But again, it's... Quoting Jim Sterling a bit, these corporations, they don't just want some money. They want all the money, and that therein lies the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And there's today's um, economics class, 101. Yeah. So that, that aside, um, what are you playing? So talking of economics 101, <laughs> I'm playing a game that I wouldn't probably have been able to play had it not been on Xbox Games Pass. And I am playing Microsoft Flight Simulator. And, oh boy, is that a good g- game? I, 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 there's a question mark with that game? Because it's simulator games when they're done like this are not games as such. But obviously they're not... It's really weird because from what I understand from pilots, they are super close to the real thing once you turn off all the aids and all the gamification bits. It, it might as well be a trading simulator. But yeah, I've been playing it on and off for a couple of days now. I'm trying to go through some of the lessons. 
got too big for my boots. I thought, do you know what? I'm going to fly from Stansted to Southend. And I crashed in Southend. Yeah, no, really, really enjoyable. There's so many buttons you need to learn. You, you get, you need like a manual with you at all times. And this is where having the dual screen setup work because I can have the plane on one screen and the cockpit on one screen. Just inside, I can have notes and button prompts and stuff like that. So I know what, what I'm pressing and when. But it's exhilarating. I don't think you can explain Flight Simulator or any simulator game and make it sound exciting. Because if you go on a long haul flight, you will spend most of your time just sat there. Um, maybe making minor adjustments, but you, you give it over to your autopilot. Because no real world pilot, they feel free to correct me here. But no real world pilot is flying UK to America and they're, they're holding their, their yoke and everything throughout the entire flight. They're handing that over to autopilot these days and they're sitting back and relaxing. Um, just making sure they're aware if they ever need to take over. Um, so th there's that to it. And it makes it a really good chill-out game. Podcast on, you want to pick your favourite podcast, mainly the mental health gaming podcast. Take off, get through the initial bits and relax. That's good. But I'm going through the lessons. Taking off is actually relatively simple, actually. It's not as scary as, it is, as I thought it'd be taking off. That's really, really simple. And then getting into your flight pattern. Bit more difficult, but you get there. But landing. I was doing my landing lessons. And honestly, as you get into your final approach. And you can see that runway. You're going down. I don't think I breathe. I've got my hand on my stick and my throttle. And I'm, I'm aiming. I've got to keep my nose in line with that runway. I'm coming in. Am I coming in too steep? Am I coming in too fast? Drifting over. And as you start going down, you've then got to point your nose back up to make sure you land because you can't land nose first. You've got to kind of bring your nose up. And as you're landing, you're still coming in, making sure your speed's correct. You're getting that aim. And then, even though I've, it's not physical and there's no like false feedback on, on the controls, as it lands, you feel yourself landing. You feel the jolt still. I don't know if it's just your brain telling you that there's going to be a jolt, but you see it. You land, you feel that jolt, and then you know you've not quite stuck it yet. You've still got more to do. And you get your front wheel down. You, you sort of come back on the throttle wall. You hit the brake. And that moment it comes to that standstill, you go, Ooh. And then you realise you've got a taxi off the runway because you get told to because there's other planes coming in. So you then, oh crap, up goes the throttle and then twist it and taxi off to, to, to safety. But that that moment, that coming into land and knowing that it's been done and sort of like rendered properly, everything around you just looks amazing. And you just do it, it just feels so good. And I'm shaking at one point, I'm shaking because I'm holding the stick so hard and I'm shaking because I'm nervous. The plane, you can see the plane sort of juddering. You're going, I've got to calm this down. And let's try to calm down. You're shaking more. And it's just like, if you watch it, if you watch a video of it, it doesn't look exhilarating. But bugger me if it is not one of the most exhilarating things I've ever felt. Yeah, I've, it's one of those that I, I kind of I kind of want to play and I kind of can't be asked. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, I'm not big into Sims that much but I do appreciate them um, and the fact that this is like one of the best looking realistic games if not the best looking realistic game of all time you know as a gamer you're like oh I want to see those graphics kind of thing but 
I'm not sure whether I'd get a lot out of it. And I would be, I, like you said, though, the temptation is very high because it's fr- effectively free. So yeah. the only holdback for me at the moment is drive space because it's, it's mostly streaming, isn't it? It streams a lot of the data yes. in. So you, you're really kind of going to benefit from having it on an SSD rather than a hard drive. And I just haven't got that kind of space. So I'm kind of like, do I delete a load of stuff and get this? Is it worth it? And then, you know, spend a day downloading it and then stick it on for half an hour. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm done. <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've enjoyed the video so far, but I've not quite made the leap to have a go at it myself. No. So this is another interesting thing when it comes to the cost of gaming. Because it's not always the financial cost, like the initial outlay. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, I'm lucky that I've got a PC that can play this, otherwise I wouldn't be able to play play this game. Um, but surprisingly, even down on medium settings, it looks so good. Um, I could run it high-end, but I've got, no, I'll go down to medium so I'm not overstressing the system or anything like that. And yeah, medium just looks outstanding. But you're right, you've now got to consider, right, what do I actually want to get rid of on, on the SSD, the main SSD? Because you do need it on an SSD, I think. And is it worth getting rid of for a game you might play once or twice and then put to the side? How much effort do you want to put into learning this game? Because unlike a lot of games, you can't just pick up Microsoft Flight Simulator and away you go. There are like levels where you can make it not arcadey, but it does so much of the heavy lifting for you. You can just do the, hey, look, I'm steering an aeroplane. Uh, but you've still got to learn a lot of buttons. Um, so there's that cost to it as well. And then beyond that, I don't think you get the experience playing with a controller. I don't think you get that same experience playing mouse and keyboard. You need a flight stick. And you can get them fairly cheap, but then you go, right, do I want to invest in that as well? Now, if I had to go out and pay the, I think the $69.99, I think the base version is, I, I might be wrong um, for it, I'm not not happening. Or I'm getting that and I'm not going to get the full experience because I'm not then going to be able to go and afford to buy the flight stick or anything. So I've got the game... And then that's possibly 60, 70 quid down the drain for me after a couple of hours. But free on Game Pass. And I'm lucky that I haven't filled up my main hard drive yet. Because I've got a one terabyte M2 thingy in there. So I still had like 500 gigs of um, space. So bank, that can go on there. Because all my other games run off the, um, the internal hard drive. But yeah, you've got to consider what's the investment like for you. In terms of not just money, but resources definitely yeah um, yeah but it is but the experience I, I will say and i'm not trying to sell it to you because it isn't for everyone just landing an airplane is the most amazing experience i've had this year i think yeah but yeah i know i agree but like you said no flight stick so yeah my my experience would probably be devalued a bit compared to yours yeah. um which you know brings me on to another point how big of a missed opportunity was it for Microsoft, you know, who to not have released a bundle where you you can buy a Hotas, you know, fight stick with the game? Because to me, that would have I would imagine that would sell like hotcakes. Because then people who were in the position of I fancy giving it a try, I may well you know play Elite Dangerous then with this, or you know parts of No Man's Sky or whatever, you know. Um, 
how many sales are they losing from not having that bundled opportunity? And if even if the game isn't available for, you know, say it's just, say the person only has the, uh, you know, the Xbox, then chuck a, a code in there that it can redeem later on, like I got with my, you know, Cyberpunk console. Yeah. And it just seems like a massively wasted opportunity because people are going to convince, if they see that product available, they're going to convince themselves that they need it. And having something physical and tangible like that when your product doesn't have a tangible version is is often a really good idea so it's, it's a tough one because i think the initial release of this isn't aimed at you and me the initial release on something like flight simulator is aimed at those of us who already have the setups they've been playing flight sim x before that they've played the previous ones they're into this you know that their their ideal guy is the guy who's got a replica cockpit set up in his garage because boy i would do that if i could by the way <laughs> um i'd have i'd have a replica of any kind of sim thing in, 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 if i had room for it but anyway that's who it's aimed at it's not aimed at the casual market yet now it's on Game Pass because that's their promise. Any game published by Microsoft will be on Game Pass. And that is the only reason it's on Game Pass. That They're sticking to their promise here. Now, I actually think when the Series X releases, or this version, uh, Flight Simulator, releases on the Xbox Series X, I actually think then we'll start to see maybe some Xbox-branded flight sticks or like proper instruments sold with codes and bundled in that way because i think it's a lot easier to brand to the casual market of this via xbox than it is via pc because your pc crowd who are into this already have it and because the game they can try it for free offer as little as a pound if they're not already on like xbox game pass pc or xbox ultimate they can try it without spending our extra money. And there's that side of it that they've got. So I don't think it's a missed opportunity in respect of they have to go out and provide hardware or bundles for them because it's not needed yet. That will happen on the Series X release. I ah, yeah. And then if they don't, that will be the missed opportunity. Yes. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think, like you say, it's easier to brand it against that market. And I think... Yeah, if they don't if they don't do it, they'll be leaving so much cash on the table. I think it'd be one of those things like um, not to the same degree, obviously, but like the Wii Fit, where it was kind of a a peripheral that had a huge impact in the market, you know. And uh, by their very nature, they always tail off really fast. But the people who put them out there make an absolute ton of cash in the short term yeah. at very little expense to them. So, yeah, they've got to do it, basically, yeah. yeah. I, I, just on one other side of things, just before we move on to, uh, to, to other chat, it is probably the very first time I've played a game where I can go, oh my God, I can see my house from here. <laughs> because it's using real world data, you fly over your street, you can see your, you can see your flat or your house or wherever you are. That That's weird. blows your yeah. mind. It really does because it's never happened before. You've never been able to do that in a game. You've, you've had maybe representations of your area, but never like down to look, I can see my street. That is wow. But yeah, it's, I'll, I'll be playing play this. I'll be streaming a bit of this. And as long as the, the video capture along with the game running doesn't blow things up. But yeah, no, it, it is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I know we're sort of, I'm running the topic into the ground now, but I think if you have got that set up 
with the joystick, then the chances of you picking it up and continuing with it are several, an order of several thousand percent higher that you'll continue with that game than if you pick it up with a pad. Yeah. Yes. And also, in the meantime, I did have a brief five-minute spell because my trial ran out of a flight stick, PSVR hooked up to the PC, and Elite Dangerous. Oh, my Jesus. Oh, my sweet Jesus. That, what, what, how, what? That's just, I actually went to space. Yeah. I, do you know, I haven't picked that, picked that up because... I don't have a stick. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I think it's... It, I, you're just convincing me now that that's what I need to buy next. But yeah. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. So you need to buy a stick. I need to buy um, a, a mod for a program on Steam to be able to run things properly. But yeah, I can't wait. And again, Flight Simulator, whether it's done officially or modders get hold of it. And I think Microsoft expected modders because they've just opened up the PC build of the Xbox app to allow mods. So... Mm. That's timing. They've just opened it up on the day they release Flight Simulator. That will have VR either officially or unofficially at some point, and then there's no point doing anything else. I'll just stay in an airplane for the rest of my life in VR. <laughs> well, that's the absolute tipping point for me as well. When this becomes available yeah. in VR, then I think I'll have to get a stick. Buy the full. Yeah. You're going to buy yourself a one thousand pound flight deck to have in front of you as well, even though you can't see it because you're in VR. You're going to have all the buttons and everything. Oh yeah, I have to like buy a shed, put the shed up in the back garden, run cables to it, and then build a little geeky astronaut ca- cabin. Joe, Joe, would you like a cup of tea? Leave me alone! I'm landing. <laughs> yeah, that's going to have to happen. Um, <laughs> so. I know we're running major long on this, but I did want to ask. So, um, how is it working out using the PSVR with the PC? Because I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast, and I think some people might be interested in that as well. Yeah, so it works. That that I will say. Um, I had to. I went for. I went use Trius VR to start with, and that was buggy. But it is just like a like a small group trying to make it work so that's that's fair enough um it was buggy but it worked but i had to do some i had to face i put it on and i had to face a a 90 degree angle to my actual screen to actually see the front of where it wanted me to look at and it 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 did uh, uh, trying it with project cards to run like about two frames a second so i thought oh right this isn't working i've just wasted money on a a second processor unit and this isn't going to work Done a bit more research, seen a thing called IVR, something like that, um, that's on Steam. Tried that out, the demo version of it. Didn't work, so I had to delete a few bits from before, so like, like got rid of all the Trius VR stuff. Reinstalled it all from scratch, and yeah, it worked wonderfully well. I got to have a go of Project Cars 2, and then I tried some Elite Dangerous, and I say it only gives you 10 minutes of being able to use it on the demo mode in the hard, in the best configuration in the hardware setting side of it rather than the virtualization side of it. And the virtualization is where it needs more resources, so things run badly. But in that 10 minutes, I was convinced it was absolutely outstanding. So I'm going to get that next month, possibly. But I'm all prepared and I'm, I'm good to go. But it is, yeah, I'm totally sold on VR in the last week. Well, I'm really impressed that they've managed... There's actually a, an initiative to have that capability to use the, the PSVR on on a PC because 
in, well, you know, looks at watch, five minutes, the price of a original PSVR is going to be, you know, ridiculously low. And, you know, it'll break that barrier down for people of, of cost to a certain degree. So that's really cool. Yeah, no, just so, by the fact that it actually works. The one caveat I think there is is to that is I believe PSVR V1 runs like absolute crap on PC. They put all the guys who have made all like the the hacks and that that work have focused entirely on PSVR V2. Right. And that's where it's better. So if you've got if you've got a V1 and you try it, it will work apparently. But they don't have official support, and it's buggy in a lot of places. Now, it depends what well, I'm not going for full-room VR stuff. So, uh, you know, apparently, and this is really weird, you can buy the original PS3 iToys and use those as sensors in different areas of your room to get full-room PSVR. Yeah. Uh, which is just, that blows my mind. And they're about three quid in CEX, and I'm half tempted to try it, but not yet. So you can do that. But yeah, I, I just want it for the, oh my God, I'm sat in a cockpit and I'm looking around and, oh wow, this is just, that. that's what I want from it. That That's the ideal for me. But yeah, you can do full room VR. I've not tried that. So again, results might vary with what you want from VR. But for what I want it for, which is glorified head tracking, it's beautiful. Cool. Well, it's disappointing that you, that it only works with V2 properly because I'm, I'm fairly convinced that's the smaller part of the market. But yeah, no, I mean, I might be talking, I might be talking crap, but just that's what I was getting from forums. So yeah, no, that, that would make sense. Yeah, if you've got a V1, try it. It's not going to cost you any extra to try it. It's just the awkwardness of unplugging your processor unit and everything and plugging it in to your PC. So. Give it a go. The software to try it is free. Yeah. It's only if you want to go for it long term you then need to pay out. I might have a go just out of curiosity. Yeah. And that, that, I think that without turning into like a PC shield now, I've had a PC for a few weeks. That's the beauty of gaming on a PC. That whatever you think, can I do this? The answer is generally, well, yeah. There might be a few bits you need to jump through to it, but yeah, you can do it. Because um, apparently you can use PSVR with a version 2 Connect system to get some depth tracking and stuff so you can bring playstation and xbox together in a way the corporations never could <laughs> but i did have other games i'm not going to chat about the other games this week so i'm going to give those some more time i am just going to shout out to dave makes games and mixalumia a mix of tetris and luminis try it on itch.io <clears throat> it is wonderful it's the next big game uh, puzzle game it, 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 I, I'm going to put my hat in the, on that one in the ring, whatever the thing is for that. That's going to be the next big puzzle game. It is outstanding. Well, when I was watching it, watching you play it on Twitch, just to give you a little bit of a bumper. Um, yeah, I said, well, I, I'm not going to play that until he gets controller support because it hasn't yeah. got that yet. But I hope he, I hope he puts that in soon if it's not yeah. there already. Okay, you could probably do it if you understand the, like, again, the third-party bits of software that allow you to map keyboard controls to controllers and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. But I'd, yeah. If it's, I'd rather do it as it's meant to be done. And just on the other side of it, actually, because I went to check to see if there was an update. Did you know that itch.io now has a launcher that you can install on your desktop? I did not. No, that's they've, really good. They've now got a launcher, and it will keep games up to date. Absolutely brilliant. And so I've got that set up. It doesn't recognise all the games you've downloaded initially, 
but um, put them into your DRM3 folder um, so you know what's what. So you do need to go in and re-download them all. Or you can possibly rename all the files. I don't know. But yeah, it's got its own launcher now for downloading, installing and managing. That's brilliant. Nice. Well done, itch.io. Very impressive. So, moving on, because we've spent an extortionate amount of time on not very many games. I want to talk about, and this is it's coincidental, I suppose, that it's coming for you as well, and you're going to have more first-hand experience of this. The movement or the application of going for a job today, and this comes off the back of my now needing to look for work and my lack of experience in that field. You've obviously moving into a new career direction as well. And also recent updates and U-turns around how grades have been given out this year and how this can all link to, I think, a better future. But what I will do, I'm going to hold over to you first, Stu, um, about what, what process you are having to go through at the moment in applying for jobs. Yeah, I mean, it always varies so much, I've found, over the years. And that in itself is is a challenge because when you're going for a job, you never know what process you're going to have to go through. So in the past, I've had one where I applied, it was directly with the company, and I ended up having three interviews, which was just crazy. It was for a job that I was kind of overqualified for anyway, and yet they were treating me as though I was a junior, you know, and... um, I kind of ended up thinking, well, even if they offered me this, I wouldn't take it. Uh, It was a very off-putting experience. It was intimidating and I didn't like it at all. And the company itself didn't seem very good. So (laughs) I was a bit crazy. Um, So I've applied for a job on Monday. Uh, I got a call back. It was via an agency. I got a call back within a, a couple of hours, I think it was. And they talked through bits of my CV and they were very good. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Agencies have... A positive and a negative side to applications just like any way that you approach new work um, and the positive is is often that they are very eager to get you on board and get your name to the employer uh, as fast as possible so that they seem efficient and seem like they vetted you properly mm-hmm. so all of that's been really good so far What the negatives are of that that I've found in the past, I can't speak to this experience yet because it's only been a couple of days, but in the past I've had experiences with once they've given the responsibility over to the employer, the employer will then review. And if they're not super keen or not interested at all, then your chances of hearing back from them are very, very slim. Um, And you very often have to chase, in my experience, uh, chase the agency uh, for for the feedback, and which is very often, you know, they're like they'll they'll often put you off and go, oh no, I'm still waiting to hear, still waiting to hear, and then like eventually when you pin them down, they'll go, oh no, you weren't successful this time. So you can go through days and days of of stress with that after an initial very positive thing, and the ones where you apply directly, you can often just never even hear back whether you you know if you don't get an interview, you often don't get even an email saying sorry you weren't successful this time. There are good experiences out there. I think that the number of positive experiences when applying for a job are diminishingly small nowadays just because of the way it is. But yeah, no, I'd be interested to hear about your take on it as well. So, a few things happened to me recently that obviously we've covered on here, but obviously I I was a graphic designer and I was freelancing as best I could, getting bug rolling, but we all know that. Then... 
before getting onto Universal Credit, I tried for some jobs in supermarkets because I'd rather be working. So I tried for jobs in supermarkets because they was calling out. And I failed to get a single job. Now, that destroyed me. That absolutely destroyed me, thinking I'm not good enough to get a job in a supermarket. Now, rightly or wrongly, and please, you can call me every name under the sun for this, but when I look at some people who work in supermarkets, and they've got a job and I couldn't get one in there, I was like, what the hell is going on? What is wrong with me? I, I don't mean that. It sounds horrible, and I don't mean it that way, because that's me judging someone. But that went through my mind, just to be totally open and honest about it. Now, my problem is I applied for a job, and I'll, I'll use my little one as an experience. I applied for the job, done the online stuff they ask you to do, sent them my CV, which is being graphic design orientated for years, but also chucked in the stuff I'd done at retail, which is going back well over a decade. Put that in there wrote a covering letter, and I was honest in my covering letter. I've come from graphic design, and as you can see from my background, um, because of the COVID-19 outbreak, my job, my work has completely disappeared, and I want to work. I would love to work for Lidl because I've worked in retail before. I was a manager at certain places. I've worked with teams before. I've actually worked in a supermarket before, and the environment of Lidl seems really good, and I would love to work there. My feedback came, I passed the test for how you deal with people. They give you like this fake text message thing that you're meant to do with multiple choice answers. Which is really bizarre because there's some questions they ask you that have nuanced the questions but gave you very black and white answers you can give them. So I was like, uh, well, both are right, but there's obviously a right answer here. So there was that side of it. But they came back and said, no, um, you passed the test, but um, your experience isn't what we're looking for. So what, what hope have I got? What do I do? Do I go take all that out and say I've not worked for 15, 20 years? Or I've only worked in retail and then I've disappeared off the face of the earth? What, what do I do? Someone looked at my covering letter and said, your covering letter is to, I need this job. It's not selling yourself enough. But it's like, but how do you sell yourself in a covering letter for a job in a supermarket that doesn't come across as a bit bullshitty. Um, especially when they look at it and go, well, this guy's a graphic designer. Does he, you know, he's, he's really selling about how much he wants to work p uh, putting fruit and veg out. So, you know, I went in, I was honest. And then a few weeks later, I saw someone put about covering letters on Twitter. They're a manager of somewhere. And they said, your covering letter needs, you know, if you're not going to impress me in your covering letter, I'm not even going to give you a second look. And that really, really annoyed me because I don't like myself. If I don't like myself, how am I meant to convince you to like me in a letter? How, how am I to do that? So I'm already going to fail at that stage. And I've convinced myself my covering letter is never going to be good enough. I'm going to fail at that stage. I've convinced myself because I've been a graphic designer and in my mind a failed graphic designer for the best part of 15, 20 years. My CV's not good enough, so I'm not going to get that job. So I, I'm a big believer that based on what's happened with education, the giving students grades based on teacher assessment is a great thing. And I want to see that moving forward, by the way. And we'll discuss that maybe in depth another time as the benefits of doing that. But I also think we need to change how people apply for jobs. I think 
every single job, the initial application process should be done blindly. You put it out there. Do you want to apply for this job? Yes. Right. Bang. You've applied for this job. Next stage, basic comprehension test. So, you know, if you're applying for a job as an accountant, you get a basic numbers comprehension test. You know, basic Maybe not basic, basic, but here, look, this is what you're dealing with. We need you to get through this in this time frame to show that you've got the abilities to do that. You get through that, then you start to go and narrow it down further and further. And I know there'll be people that have got arguments against this, and I can hear, I can hear the arguments in my head already. But you start off with this wide-ranging process, you narrow it down by ability... Okay, and you can give it so like people can still learn on the job. So you haven't got to make it that you've got to know this inside out. You allow people who might be looking for a change to career, who have studied at home, they've learned at home, who have got all the skills, but haven't got the experience, can then apply for that same job. They're narrowed down into that, blah, blah, blah. Loads of different things, all the way to the point where you get down to your final few and you choose the one who you think, after meeting them, is best for that job. But you're giving everyone the chance to apply. You're not kicking out... 70% of people are putting off 70% of people before that application process has even begun. Now, it doesn't work for everything. Don't get me wrong. And different things need different things. So um, one of our writers, I won't mention his name, but he'll know who he is, wants to get into graphic design, which is fine. But he's spent his life, he's an artist. So he hasn't got a portfolio designed for graphic design, but his artwork is fantastic. And he's struggling with... How does he apply for a graphic design job? What does he have to do? Now, in my eyes, his art should be enough. His art, you, someone should look at his artwork and go, okay, yeah. Okay, so look, look, here's an example. This is a brief. Work on, do that brief. This is our entry brief. Let's see how you, what you come out with. And then judge him on that. But at the moment, he would get just put into the no pole because he hasn't got the experience as a graphic designer. He's own, only an artist in their eyes. And that is wrong. And I've, gone for, I've looked at many jobs where I've got, look, I've got the ability to do this. I haven't got the qualifications because I'm self-taught. Or I've heard this through little bits of experience. And I've always been with graphic design a bit of a jack of all trades. I've got more than competent. I've got good at everything I've done. Um, and I get to that point where I'm good. But I never become an expert in any one thing. And I've always positioned myself that if I worked within a graphic design company or a larger company, I could be that guy that's a proper go-between all the experts so you've got me here, I'm a utility man, someone needs help with a bit of HTML, I can do that. Someone's got a logo they've got to finish for this or a layout they've got to finish for this particular article, I can go and do that. I know little bits of programming, so someone can go like, look, I've got this, I've got to fit this in here, can you do that? Yes, I can do that. Could I build it myself? No. But I'm in a position where I could have done loads of different things and find, find a role that would work. But I don't know how to sell that. You can't put in a covering letter. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty decent at a lot of stuff, but not great at any of it. That's not going to sell it to anyone. And I don't know how to sell that. And that's me out of the running immediately. Because there are people who are better at any individual things than I am. Now, moving into, like, I want to go into mental health. That's then where it becomes difficult. Because how do you judge? How do you do that process? Now, there will be ways. And I'm not saying it's a, a one-way suits all. But that's what we've got at the moment. As it stands at the moment, we consider that unless you can show your qualifications or write a decent cover letter, you're out before you've even begun. And that's the way it works for pretty much everything. 
graphic design, you haven't got the right portfolio. I, I looked at a job at working with addicts. I'm not an addict, so I haven't got that experience. I've never worked with addicts before, so I haven't got that experience. So I'm not qualified to apply for that job. And that then becomes the issue. So we still have this way of we've got a catch-all situation that doesn't benefit anyone. Whereas I think we can move forward into, right, let's actually refocus how we get that onboarding, that initial onboarding, and make that nuance the further we go down that line and, and work it that way. That, that, that's what I would like to see as a change. And it gives more people the opportunity to actually go for jobs. Yeah, I mean, some really good points. I mean, obviously, I don't necessarily agree. I'd have to think about some of them. Yeah, no, no, more. that's fine. Okay, I know I'm not. This is not me going. This is the way it should be, or I'm right. Of course, this is just like the, my initial thoughts on things, yeah. and I know that it's you know there's a lot of things that would you know even if someone went oh that's a good idea there's a lot of things that go well that wouldn't work right right so but yeah, yeah. No, I'm aware of that. I think that em- employers may abuse covering letters mm. uh, simply because I don't think there's because it's informal in a formal setting. I don't think there's any standard for how they're evaluated. So it's almost like when you're sitting there doing one, it's like writing a love letter to a person that you've never met. So you could be going, oh, I love your brown eyes. And, you know, he's got blue eyes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's really, really difficult. And I, I actually feel I'm pretty good at them. But even so, even then... How is it going to be received? Like, I, I applied for a job a few weeks ago, uh, which was in the mental health sphere. And uh, on paper, I thought, well, I'm close enough to, for my seat, like, my CV's miles away because I just don't have that experience in the mental health field on a professional level. But I, in my covering letter, I emphasized how much management experience I have and how much voluntary mental health work I do I have done in the past and how I could basically if you put me in that role anything that you need me to have that's specific to that role I'm intelligent enough to pick it up in a week so my feeling is if you've got a cover letter that's honest and says I've got all of these skills they've not been applied in your area but I could you know if I've picked these up let's face it I'm going to pick up those yeah. then that should be uh, accepted. That that should be enough to get you in the door for an interview. But that wasn't even enough to get me in the door. No, but does your fear not come from that? The way you've just said that, I, I've picked these skills up, so if I can pick it up doing this, then I'll be able to do it in this role. My fault, if I'm writing that, and you're perfectly right with how you've put that, is that sounds like I'm belittling what their role is. So I, I would be, I would then be going right. I need to word that differently, and then it comes across as less sincere. Does that make sense? Or it makes sense. I, the way my ego works, I wouldn't think like that. <laughs> I would think, I would think no. But you see, I didn't say like, oh no, I'm amazing. I can pick anything up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, it was pure fact. It was like you know, this skill applies because I deal with these people and I make sure that they succeed. And I'm a mentor, and I've done this, and this is this is the literal outcome of what that was. So it's all like facts. It wasn't like uh, just a blanket statement. It was like, um, you know, I could do this. So basically, what it tells me about that application was they didn't read it. Yeah. What they did was they did a keyword checker on my CV. None of their keywords came up on my CV, and therefore they that that was it. 
Yeah. And I think that's what happens. And I don't think that very many cover letters are actually read at all, to be honest. No, I I reckon they are after the initial CV thing has gone through. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, it is tough. It really, it really is tough. And I, you know, I've been lucky whereby this is now probably the first time where I'm looking at jobs in, in a completely different field and trying to find something. And it's hopefully just the initial scare of trying to do that. Um, but, yeah, I just st- still something about the whole process. As, as it stands, it doesn't work at the yeah. moment. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, one thing I wanted to say was that, yes, it is far too based on CVs. I, I completely agree with you. I think that from what I understand of how the process works for most companies they are they would be willing to have somebody who's mediocre to above average and spend very little money in their company on recruitment than they would to spend the money on recruitment and have higher quality candidates yeah because I just believe that they are that they think in such momentary terms that it's like well how much per per uh, year are we spending on having great recruitment resources training and internal trainers and recruiters versus how quickly we could get people in the door and get them working and I'm I'm positive that applies to your application to Lidl they'll have just gone well if we've put this thing in the paper if we get 50 applicants through the door today which they easily could we can just hire from that pool of applicants and we're we're up and running you know yeah. and that will that all that will be all that they see is the bottom line of we spent no time and no money on that recruitment and we filled the role and head office will just give them a little round of applause for doing it and that's how i think it it probably works in a lot of places oh yeah when i went for tesco's i mean when i went there they was pretty open i went um obviously seen in the in the papers and in the news that, you know, you're, you're opening your doors, you need people to apply and come in. This was like day after. It had gone out or two days after, actually. And they went, oh, no, yeah, but we've, unfortunately, we've we've had hundreds of applications and we filled the roles already. Oh, all right, okay. And that was within a day. That was within 24 hours they'd filled it. So you're right now, I think that does it. They've gone, right, we've got the X amount of people have applied. There's our pool. We'll just pick from there. They do, yeah. Uh, but at least they was open and honest about it. And they just went, no, we've got hundreds of applied. We've got our workers. Unfortunately, it's not worth you applying. Yeah. I appreciate that. I was happier with that than Lidl, who put me through the process and then destroyed me. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I think in the past there was the excuse of, well, we'll keep you on file. But there's so many people looking for work that there's no value in a company keeping you on file, really. No. You'll either be so good that you jump to the top and you're hired, or they'll just go through another recruitment cycle further down yeah. the line because they know that they'll have a huge pool of applicants. So Yeah. I say, don't get me wrong. I mean, without going into Saatchi and Saatchi as individuals, um, as to what they are, I applied for a job with them straight out of college, just on the off chance. I, don't, you know, I was like, I came out of college going, yeah, I'm good at graphic design. I'm going to go to Saatchi and Saatchi and see what <laughs> I can get. Wow. Um, do you know what? Of the 30 companies I applied to and got knocked back from at the time, they actually replied to me. Not them personally, but someone within the company replied to me with a personal one and went, right, your stuff's good enough. Right, oh, your stuff's good. It's not good enough for us yet. Keep working at it and reapply. 
Uh, they gave me feedback on a couple of individual bits from my portfolio and that. And that was just, that gave me such a huge boost to go, right, I'm just going to look for whatever I can now. If, if that's a possibility. And, you know, young 20-year-old uh, me at the time was like, my God, I could work for Saatchi and Saatchi. But if yeah. someone like that, that company, can give a personal response to an application, then it's good enough for everyone else. It really is. It is. I, it's similar to you. When I was leaving college, or even before I did, I wrote to uh, Cygnosis to see if they'd give me a job. Yes. <laughs> Again, a little bit of a stretch. And um, they wrote back. I, I applied to all sorts of, of places, and they were, the, I think, the one of two who got back to me. And the rest of it. Still on edge line. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they're still Liverpool based. Um, so yeah, you were kind of out of all of these tin pot little places. You didn't mean nothing. The the big company was the one who actually were professional enough, enough to yeah. reply. But I mean, before you know, before I go too far down the road of criticizing businesses, I've been on the opposite side of doing recruitment, and you do also get a load of chances who like just fluff up their CV and expect to get in the door and you do you schedule them all in you give them equal time and you you put a lot of effort into reviewing their CVs and then they come in and they're you know obviously nowhere near the level that's needed for the role and they have nowhere near the experience either the experience or the training or the education for it so I do understand you know, from a recruiter perspective, yeah. But that's why I think the capability test... I don't want to say capability test because I, 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 I'm next week going to be arguing about why we should do away with standardised tests. But for want of a better word, or for what it is, a capability test before you send in your CV should be front and centre based on the job you're going for. So if you're going for an accountancy and you can't do, you know, what, what's what 20% of this figure, then... That shouldn't be, that should be enough to go, look, unfortunately, we don't think this is the job for you. Yeah. Because of what's needed. And that, that, you know, it's maybe mental health. It could be a case of someone's walked in, they're threatening to kill themselves if you don't give them the advice they do. What do you do? Do you, A, send them on their way? B, do you try and sit them down and have a chat with them? You know, say, call a responsible other or something like that. And understand also, if you've got someone who's going, get rid of them, oh, I don't care if they kill themselves. You're probably not right for that job. So we can go with the capability test. You're off and out your way. But people are showing in that entry exam, if you will, that they can show empathy. That gets them through to the next stage. You're right. What is on your CV? What is this? Let's Then we can see what experience have you got? What is it said in your cover letter? But you to get you, that has got to be the case first because you will have someone who could be absolutely perfect for your job They've, been, they've spent three years teaching themselves at home, but their CV is not going to show that. So they need that in to prove that they can do that job. And I think that's the major change you need to make is how you onboard that initial start, that, that initial selection. Yeah, I think the idea of a basic competency test in a specific role is is a, is a good formative idea. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, years and years ago, a friend of mine was getting involved with uh designer like a ux and ui designer who had had the idea to create a standardized application system that uh recruiters and agencies could buy and then obviously they paid for the product 
and you as an individual would buy a piece of software that you basically just stuck all your data, your important details in. And yeah, you could pay for extra modules so that you didn't have to keep, keep tweaking it and apply for different jobs. And it'd be more like a stickle bricks or Lego kind of thing where you literally it would plug in really quickly. And, you know, part of the idea from that was also yeah, that you could instantly ask the right questions and, and give, you know, have basic competency based around it. Yeah. And it is kind of amazing that people haven't adopted a standard like that. Uh, but then again, you know, you're coming into a, a crunch then with standardised testing, like you said, of yeah. like, you know, it should be more tailored. But so, I think there's a middle ground. Yeah, definitely. So the reason I think maybe to have a test at the start of the process rather than at the end of a process like you get at school or university is that test is not going to throw away years and years of work if you go and apply for a job and you 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 go into it and you screw up that first test right okay i can go for another one i can go and do another one i've screwed up at this first bit i know what i've done wrong i'll restudy a bit more on this or i'll reapply here that's why it's at the start of the process with a test at the end of a process, whether it's applying for a job, whether it's the end of um, five years at school, three, four years at university or whatever, you go into it, that pressure is on you. If you do not nail this, the last X amount of your life has been a waste. You have blown it. And if that gets inside your head and you suffer, that is, you will blow it because you've convinced yourself you are going to blow it. So I think having tests, I'm not against tests, I'm against how much they're used at what points they are used. Um, it's like if you go for a job, you get through all the time process, and they go, right, by the way, now we're going to do a competency test. Your brain immediately goes, oh, crap, what if, I, what if I screw this up? The guy's next to me, he's got one there, he's got one over there. What if I screw it? Your brain's doing that, whereas if you're doing it straight from the very start, online, in your face, some people are going to cheat. There's a shock. People are going to cheat with things because people do. But you weed those out down the line then. But most people go, right, I want this, so let's show I can do this. And they will do it properly without that added pressure of, if I screw this up, I've screwed everything up. So that, that, yeah. that's just my thoughts. But again, it is nuanced. I'm not going like, that's the answer. So exams at the start. Um, it is nuanced and it has to be nuanced. But yeah, it, it, that's what I see needs to change. We need to work out when these things happen, how we do the onboarding. Yeah, in my last place, they was they had done I think for the last couple of years competency competency competency. So you failed a competency test there. <laughs> uh, competency based testing uh, to get you in the door. Um, yeah. and I never saw what the questions were, but I think they were all right. But I agree, I think the general point from me is that there's too much pressure and responsibility on the individual, yes. and it's the responsibility of the employer to see their recruits as we need them you're going to be the people who are the engine of our business you know not oh you know we're the employer we're the important ones you've got to serve us you're our servants it should be yeah god you you're the people who are going to make this company work so you know we bow down to you you know that you put the emphasis on on those people and to do that i think you it's basically you have to invest in it you have to invest in having staff who are good recruiters who are good trainers or good people people and who actually take the time to be like you said before you get to all of that 
okay, let's have a look at the nitty gritty. Let's have a look at the CV. Let's have a look at the cover letter. Let's give you a test. That you've had a conversation with them, that you're treating them like an individual, that you're noting their responses, that you're taking on board their personalities, or way before what they have on paper. Um, And I'll sort of, I, I know how long we're running now is crazy, but I'll just give a very quick example. So the last to one recruitment that I did was uh, a group of uh, apprentices. Yes. So it was picking from it was it was going into a a day long session where they were doing team based activities, and uh, you know you, you picked from the recruitment pool from the talent pool, and all these guys were you know really really good. I was pleased to find out that they all ended up with roles and. But the guy that I picked, he was 18, and his he was you know studying and as well as uh, you know doing this and yeah. his level of skill and his not just that but his ability to take on new information and process it and apply it was just phenomenal. It's like way ahead of mine, like way ahead. And I've got like thirty, not thirty years on him, but twenty-five years on him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, we've we've got to have him. But if, if we'd gone off a CV, he would have been like, yeah, worked in a supermarket and then went into, you know, went into education. Yeah. And that would have been, that would have been yeah. it. Yeah. And I would, you know, you'd just be like, oh, okay, well, he's nowhere near mature enough for this role. But he picked up all the stuff that we needed from him in six months. And he moved into another role in a different company as a not senior but you know not a junior role like a a standard role within about a year and a half so all of that would have been wasted and lost if it wasn't just spotted in a one-to-one situation you know and yeah it's good to know it shows that if you actually take the time to look at the individual rather than what's written down on something then you can find someone who's ideal for a role next interview i get just for practice, I might go and just start pretend I'm Tyrone from Snatch. I mean, every time they ask a question, I'll go, of course I can. Just everything. That might give me the job. <laughs> just style it out, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah imagine, you know, I've broken this up. I'm just going to now start it out. And they find out you've got the job. I'm like, oh, okay, there you go. Oh, like, um, <laughs> like the guy in Train Spotting. I can't remember his name. When he takes the speed before the interview. Yeah. It's like the perfect, <laughs> the perfect thing to do if you want to look like you're trying, but you yeah. actually don't want the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I might. So. Yeah, that's it. I'll do it. That, there's the answer to everything. Take drugs before you interview. I think drugs are the answer to everything. It's yeah. starting. It's definitely starting to feel like the answer to everything. Like this far into 2020, it's like I could just live a blissed out life and just pretend yeah. none of this is happening. I've I, I've never had any recreational drug, but you're getting like the further 2020 goes. I'm going. Heroin seems like a good idea <laughs> yeah. about now. Is heroin really such a bad thing? <laughs> yeah, I've always said when I'm on my deathbed, if I know sort of like, look, you've got about a week to live. At that point, I'm going just bring it all. Yeah. Make it snow, eject it into my veins and let me smoke it. <laughs> Give me the if, I'm going, if I've got a week left and I'm going down, screw it. I'm having all the vices. Definitely. Um, yeah. And on that note, because we've been running for over an hour now, so good luck with the editing, Stu. Oh, yeah, it'll be fun. So I think you're going to see Editing Genius and this little bit at the end is going to seem like really weird. It's only a 20-minute show. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. But thank you for listening. As usual, Discord, Twitter... 
Twitch. We're doing more on Twitch now, so you can watch there. YouTube, like and subscribe, please. Get those numbers up for us. Because um, apparently that's what you're meant to do. The algorithm says you're meant to beg, so I am begging you. Like and subscribe to us on YouTube. That'd be brilliant. But yeah, if you need to chat, we're on Discord. And yeah, I've been Brad. I've been joined by Stu. Unfortunately, Stu, you don't have the job. Goodbye. <laughs>